Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Sanctioned Citizen Podcast. I am your hostess, Tempest Del Fuego. Uh, it is October 30th of 2021, and I just wanted to give you guys an update on the status of the vaccination mandate. The uh, It's been pretty quiet. Uh, I don't think the news is finding it favorable, so they're just not talking about it as much. Um, they know that that it's not a popular item uh, when people are losing their jobs. So there has been a move to push out the deadline for conformance into the Novembers, like November 8th or 15th or 21st. I don't know. It could be just the can may be getting kicked out because retail is just screaming uh, against the repressive and inflated environment. They can't get supplies. The costs are going up. People aren't coming in the stores. Uh, there's not there's not enough uh, police labor if something happens, if they're robbed or if something else, you know, occurs. EMTs are not going to be as plentiful if, if someone has to go to the hospital. Um, so while they're, they're playing down the numbers, it's like, oh, it was only 127 cops. It's like that's 127 people who aren't going to be available to, to answer in the event of like a heart attack or you know, an attempted murder or something, something serious when you call 911. Um, so this is happening in, in other places all over the country. But again, you know, I'm here in Western Washington. I just want to talk about what I know. So let me move on. This has been a huge week for child privacy. Um, there was a extraordinary Senate committee hearing. And there's been a, a whole series of social media hearings where they're grilling all sorts of companies. Last week, the focus was on Facebook. Facebook did this meta rebranding. It's no longer Facebook, it is meta. Um, You know, people are still trying to figure it out, but I highly do not recommend moving a profile of your child into the metaverse from Facebook until they figure out how to not be harmful and enforce COPPA more virulently uh, and get strong biometric protections engaged in the regulatory process before Meta becomes anything but an over-21 universe. Um, I know they want that child data, but they don't deserve it. And they should not be permitted to to let their their bodies in that universe until until uh, until they are of age of selective service or driving, or something responsible. Anyways, age of consent, age of consent. So I'm really glad it's the weekend, and I'm doing more production and podcasting, writing, etc., engaged towards the weekend, because there's a lot of things to do yet, uh, but you can squirrel in more time to rest and reflect on certain issues, and kind of weigh what's important to you. I feel like weekends are the time that most people will do that, um, They'll try to find time to to kind of really think about things. It's really important to encourage thinking, thinking for yourself. You know, there's lots of other people doing their own thinking. I'm going to offer you my thoughts, and I hope that you will compare them with your own thoughts and come up with your own conclusions about what you need and want to do about privacy. 
So I think it's time to clear the air on a few things about former Donald Trump's presidential priorities and uh, when it came to, to privacy. Now, I haven't been real vocal about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a, is a uh, kind of a lightning rod of a character in politics, and it was super great fun to watch him really turn Washington, D.C. into a legendary barbecue of institutionalists and corrupt, you know, corrupt people's sacred cows, just knock them over and torch them. It was fun. Uh, but it couldn't last forever. There were, there were also quite a few policy problems he left by the wayside when it came to privacy in that they were not addressed or they were improperly addressed. Um, but he was definitely good on a lot of things, particularly financial and treasury policy, which was super helpful on the back end when it came to issues of, of technical administration and people being able to call... Uh, call into ownership their data and their data being used as money and their money being used as securities and that being taken for granted in, in the PRC. So I still wanted him to kind of stay the hell away of holistic American privacy. Why? Why would I want him to do that? I think issues I really cared about were often leveraged and deleveraged in a way that I couldn't really tolerate for, for very long periods of time, in the best of times during the Trump administration for a variety of, of personal and professional reasons. Among those were these critical human rights and civil libertarian issues that just stuck around, um, like like digital privacy and mass surveillance issues, the fact that, that Gitmo is still, op- still open, and a lot of those people didn't get any kind of human rights trial or, or you know, a trial. Find a crime have a trial, prosecute the people for the crime. If there's no crime, don't just imprison them indefinitely. That's a human rights, that's a human rights moral failure. Um, <clears throat> and, and we used to not do that, but we've gotten into a, a really weird spot where we're holding on to people in prisons and not giving them court dates and they just sit there and rot like it's turkey. And I don't think this should be happening, but it is in certain straits in America, and it's got to stop. So um, that would include a, a fair and speedy trial for Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. And when I say Julian Assange, if there were actually any charges, and of course, rolling back the Real ID Act, the USA Patriot Act, uh, and defunding all forms of DHS-driven mass surveillance at large, including uses of American fusion centers, uh, you know, ALPR, license plate readers for for indefinite, you know, tracking and surveillance of everything you do uh, and, and using uh, American tech companies for full spectrum surveillance, you know, a la PRISM and those sorts of things. You know, I think that, that giving up on the USA Freedom Act as a premise and just saying, let's just get rid of it is is a good idea but i think it benefits the tech companies for the government to pay them for the information so they did the t-mobile jam where they said okay well we'll just hang on to this information for two years in telecom or mobile or whatever you want government and uh, we'll just hang on to it for two years and uh, if you pay us we'll give it to you with a warrant and I, don't, I think the whole premise just really blows because it's not their information. It isn't their information. But they're still retaining it. Like, you're a criminal. 
So there's some pre-crime in there, and it's it's bad. It's bad. Treating everybody like a like a criminal is bad. You need you need uh, some kind of some kind of reason, reasonable suspicion to be treated like a criminal. But that's that's okay. There's lots of people being treated like criminals right now that didn't do anything wrong. Okay, so to be brief, Julian Assange is one of those guys. Uh, he looked bad. The optics were terrible, uh, but he actually committed no crime. He committed the the conspiratorial act of, of producing journalism notes with WikiLeaks. So, so the best defense he had this week, uh, which has been a big week for globalism in Europe, with Joe Biden going over there speaking to France, and he's on he's on a tour. Um, the best defense he has was that there was. No real charges against him because his great lawyer articulated that his only crime was not a crime. He was and still is a publisher in the international press at WikiLeaks. So today he endures indefinite detention of over 10 years between the Ecuadorian embassy and his UK pretrial detention. So in my humble opinion, Assange should have been a thorn to be pulled out during the Trump administration, not... Uh, a meta-globalist administration like the current one under Joe Biden. Uh, I feel like the old New World Order NWO is taking a big dump on our doorstep and testing our boundaries because Biden isn't operating at 100% full faculty. So I feel like the Northeast is really driving policy for America and yet again they don't have conversations with the people who have to live with their problematic thinking as political operations. So let me explain what that might be like for me. New Yorkers are generally over litigious and they want to get ahead of a neighborly lawsuit, which are constantly being papered around by having their own opposition research firm on tap. This is just how it is over there. You can be sued for anything for sneezing in the subway, I guess. I don't know. But it's a sick way to live and they didn't attract and cultivate enough talent within themselves or in their interest groups to deal with the international diplomacy issues that clothesline American businesses and manufacturing, drug policy, and work with Latin America to coordinate better trade in this hemisphere on these enduringly hard issues like immigration. You know, they want, they want to point and shoot at the morality of the border but don't go there and don't spend any time on it and stick their head in the sand and hope it doesn't go away while pretending that they're really benevolent when a lot of really bad things are happening. So East Coast boomers and globalists also like the way Asia kind of takes out their trash. So Trump's answer to college students struggling underneath, say, their federal loans and hiring lags was to run out and learn welding through an apprenticeship. And I, I just don't really think that that really fixed the problem. Um, so th- those are kind of examples of the way that maybe these Northeasterners in the United States are, are kind of thinking, they're thinking in compartmentalized, self-interested ways where, hey, I have this expensive degree, but what I really should be doing right now is welding and, um, you know, that's how I'll just pay the bills. And it's just not maybe what you're good at. 
or what you should be doing, but, but, you know, the market needs it. So that's what you should do. And that's, that's kind of, I feel like vocational rehabilitation would, would need to probably be more coached into that, folded in, massaged in somewhere so that it'd be more, more appropriate. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of women who are just not, not going to weld. Sorry, that's just not going to happen. I'll learn to be a florist before I will weld anything. Um, I want you to know that the Pelosi generation, the Trump generation, they're all boomers. And, you know, I want them to care about things like a debt limit. But making most boomers, if they aren't, say, a Tip O'Neill or a Ron Paul, care about a debt limit is like telling a gambling addict to stop while they're still on a roll at the craps table. They just won't. And without a serious intervention, they just will not do it. And Gen Xers, the Millennials, Gen Z, and anybody who else is coming along down the pipe is going to get the debt. So that's why Andrew Yang cannot have a universal basic income. The boomer neocons and their Democratic counterparts spent the governing futures on an advance for the revolving war accounts starting in 2003, among other things, among other things. So sometimes I thought the best I could do was to distract, say, a Trump policy team with positive hero-making policies. So I think we all really needed something that created a more productive sense of who Americans were and helped people feel more sane about their lives. You know, they, I think a lot of Americans felt felt just kicked around and, and you know, really derailed in their, their life objectives. You know, they were getting pushed around with a lot of poverty and kind of shivved out of opportunities right and left. And, they you know, no one gave them much of an explanation. It's... You know, it's just not been real fair. And um, and their lives are getting harder instead of easier. So he kind of did make things a little bit easier for, for the common American person. So when I confronted the hard math, unfortunately, Trump was still in favor of invasive mass surveillance. And so that would be like x-rays of people's body parts and airports. So to this day, I still see complacent human chattel lift their arms and walk through a Lido scanner taking pictures of their genitals. And, you know, people tried to heckle me for getting a voluntary pat down when going into security processing at the airport in Texas. You know, and I simply mentioned to them, I said, DHS has a profile of your genitals. Good luck with that. You know, the Islamic terror plots managed to stay in the Middle East for the most part. So the reason for the machines are kind of diminishing. However, I wouldn't change it wouldn't change the facts that, that Donald Trump's administration did not develop more privacy protections for the United States citizen. He didn't do that. He wanted the political ability to demoralize his perceived opponents with any kind of overexposure rather than allowing the normal citizen to just kind of go have a life without looking over our shoulder at indirect supervision from the federal government, which sucks. You know, it's it's a lot of pressure and, and we don't need it. So luckily for, for all of us, child privacy and paternal rights, parental rights in schools and are, are getting more assertive. 
And why that's good is because it's taking a central stage in the privacy debate like this week. And that's, that's really helping the debate nationally. Because when we can protect our children, we definitely feel more sane as a nation. Um, so I urge you to visit and review the video or the transcripts of Tuesday's Senate hearing for kids on social media featured on C-SPAN and the sources. Um, even so, it was a really tall order. Let's say you lived in a town that reveres the falsehoods and gaslighting constructs of academic socialism, which are incidentally super similar to the way modern tech companies trample personal data and ownership rights, I might add, because they're kind of the same people. And as I said before, privacy work locally dipped down on the scales so far left, wang, I felt like I lost a little bit of my libertarian grip and grabbed onto some republicanism so I didn't fall off the scales altogether. That's, that's how... How, whew, yeah. So that meant teaming up with local Hong Kong activists and liberty interests when they weren't anarchists that day, and sometimes a Republican like one of the four in King County. Um, so if I had to pick between Trump and leftist anarchy, I had to galvanize certain efforts with Republicans. That meant flanking right when it came to things like antitrust and SEC violations of data-backed securities the way personal data is monetized for ad surveillance. And eventually I came out with something, ironically, because of the Trump network and some, some decent conservative people who were like, yeah, we see what you're saying. Um, so the trade-off was that I was able to take do-nothing legislators to task for not creating worthwhile enforcement environments that had any teeth whatsoever on the issue of privacy, much less child privacy. Um, we needed more fairness and in information security, um, crypto regulation and information-based securities, and of course, personal data protection and regulatory approaches. We need all of those things right now. They, they didn't really get solidified in any kind of, you know, long-term way that's going to help us in the time, in our time of need. And we, we have a time of need right now. So at some point, I plan on returning to my roots working against biometric data, as there is an additional institutional uptake at Delta Airlines, and of course the use of Clearview AI at, yes, ICOP for the U.S. Postal Service uh, surveillance branch. So I want to get it every time I read anything about this U.S. Postal Service, you know, mass surveillance, I just kind of, you know, hit my head a little bit. You know, is there any way to rein in the U.S. Postal Service from mass surveillance? You know, I hope so. If we can't, I think that that's a real weakness in the privacy protections field of public policy, because I don't think that U.S. Postal Service really has a role in mass surveillance. And they shouldn't be allowed to just go do that. Um, they're not a security agency. So I'll give you an example of what I've been dealing with um, when it comes to the priorities and who values privacy and maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, so in the late local Seattle mayoral race, there was a debate, quote unquote, that took place a couple days ago. And um, I'll give you an amended version of events so I won't waste your lifetime on non-substantive, non-debate debates. 
So here it is. It's Harrelson versus Gonzalez. The debate was essentially this, you're a racist. And Gonzalez rebuts Harrelson saying, you're a sexist. They both wanted tax increases and said, vote for me. The end. Debate over. Voters go home with no policy other than democratic socialists trying to take each other down with transparently unprincipled name-calling. So for people taking each other to task for marginalization, they certainly do a lot of it to clear out uh, their competition. So we are still waiting on those civic solutions to free-range crime, driven by jonesing addicts, people with serious criminal histories and mental health disorders, the local objections to the vaccine mandates, the issues of school choice, and a meaningful rebuttal to CRT-driven policies that are killing practical democracy and in the sound. <clears throat> so that's just an example of like the overall kind of like feel of what's going on. So, I, I mean, I hear amazing legislative rules and regulatory instance proposals all the time. Data minimization, encrypted security and two-factor authentication requirements, routine malware and security audits aimed at children under 15, an update of COPPA regulations, a special regulatory commission to produce rules on emerging AIs and algorithms that present a danger to the public, personal data classification rules for protection, and legal penalties for violations of sensitive data based on breach exposure, on and on and on and on and on. So states have been on their own to produce results for privacy law, but comprehensive privacy law has been hampered by a toxic cocktail of indirect political bribery from the form of PAC representation by big tech, social media, technology companies, blah, 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 blah. And then what one senator also called the kowtow capitalism. <clears throat> so kowtow capitalism. That is when multinationals are deferential to the PRC or Chinese public policy objectives. And that would be to perform censorship, injunctive actions on American companies based on, based in the U.S. for things like supporting the sovereign rights of Tibet or Hong Kong or Taiwan. Um, so I covered some of that angrily last week and, you know, I think that, that we're on the road, we're on the road, companies are seeing it, legislators are, are seeing it with their eyes open, you know, their hearts are open to doing more about it. They don't feel as helpless about it. Uh, I think they're, they're waking up. So we're getting our wishes that way. Um, nevertheless, it's, it's not all grim. Uh, there definitely have been some seemingly solid professional American victories in government and in governance that, uh, may help keep bad things from happening to good people, or at least provide them with some kind of justice when things go wrong. Uh, for one, the FCC revoked all the mobile use certificates for, for Chinese parts and 5G and American telecom. That's heroic. And I think that, that was after the the NSA, whom I've been super critical of in the past, actually did their job. They they came up with an alert uh, to let everybody know, hey, cloud-based systems are being probed by the PRC using 5G platforms. Let's not let's not give them a free ride. Um, so that was very good. 
National Security Administration. I hope you do more things like that. Rather than, you know, you know, look up your ex. <laughs> Maybe I should have led with that. Now, the U.S. State Department wants to establish a cyber-led ambassador. That might be helpful if they speak Russian or Chinese. Um, the CFPB, that's I think that's the Financial Protection Bureau, is also establishing a new watchdog office to watch businesses like Rocket Mortgage and other app-based lenders. I don't know. Some things hanky could happen there. That's a lot of big ticket money. I mean, anything over $100,000 has really got to get looked at more scrupulously, I think. Because bad things can happen on applications on phones. See, it happens every day and it's pretty scary. So, um, American companies are also removing PRC surveillance hardware from their shelves. They figured out, oh, oh, that's not helping. That's not helping, so let's get it out of here. So, places like Home Depot were saying, well, I don't think we're going to hold on to this uh, Chinese inventory for home surveillance, so let's get it out of here. And I think that's great. I think it's super awesome. Um... So don't forget how you run things is, is what is called governance and companies seek to do it better all the time. And so all those things are good. Uh, those are kind of good news. Some people want less government. Some people want more government. I want, you know, if you're going to govern, do it right or don't do it. <laughs> that's, that's my uh, positive postulate for, for governing, you know. Make it beneficial or don't do it. So um, I don't have much more to add. We're, we're plowing in heavy into the holiday Halloween season, then Thanksgiving, and then after that's the Christmas crush. So, but right now we're at, we're at pumpkin spice everything and Halloween candy. So I wish you well at the beginning of this holiday season. Um, I should be trying to get a substack here. That's the scariest thing I've said all this episode is getting a substack. So I'll, I'll try my hand at it. I'm just going to take the dip and see how, see how it goes and see where it leads. So this has been Tempest del Fuego. I'll see you next time.